Good morning. <laughs> uh, welcome to Hope Heights. Uh, super glad that you are here joining us this morning. My name is uh, Jordan Anderson. Uh, I'm on staff at Hope, but uh, I also have the privilege and the honor of actually being uh, an elder here at Heights as well. Uh, Pastor Drew is out this morning, and so I get the chance to uh, uh, bring the good news to our church this morning. Uh, so super excited. Um, there we go. Uh, this is a picture of my family. Uh, Emily in the middle. We've been married for uh, uh, about 13 years. Uh, Ellie is uh, my eldest. She would like you to know that her birthday is next month. Uh, and then, uh, and then Kenna. Now, of course, I'm not in the photo because I'm taking the photo. Uh, this is at Interstate State Park. Uh, and so here's a picture of me. This is the peak of my modeling career. Uh, I grew up in the Eau Claire, Wisconsin area and Oakwood Mall. Is anyone Oakwood Mall? Okay. Uh, not many people know that the stores would actually uh, see young families coming in, buying their clothes, and then go to the moms and be like, hey, are you cool putting clothes on your kid and then having them walk the red carpet in front of hundreds of people? That's me. Um, so I'm about like five or six here. Um, additionally though, I know, right? So I put this picture not because the Mighty Ducks uh, were amazing and it was the best movie of 1992, uh, but also because uh, to answer the, the question, question of the day, what's one thing that you're proud to have finished? As you notice, I have glasses. I had glasses from the time that I was about seven years old. Uh, and it wasn't until about four or five years ago that I actually had LASIK eye surgery. And, okay, top three best decisions of my life. Uh, <clears throat> because at that time, obviously, I didn't know that LASIK was a thing at this age. Uh, but it actually took technology a really long time to uh, get up to speed where I had a, like, severe stigmatism. Uh, in fact, one doc says, like, you could actually apply for being legally blind. That's how bad my vision was. And so to get LASIK, I don't wear glasses anymore. Uh, that's, that's how I would answer that question. Super proud to have finished that. Uh, anyways, moving forward. We are in a sermon series uh, called The Story of the Bible in 16 Verses. We're, we're coming uh, to the end. So if uh, you're new with us, uh, that's okay. Essentially, we've been working our way uh, kind of through these jump points on this board game looking thing, uh, trying to succinctly ask the question, what, what is the Bible all about? Uh, we're not necessarily going to rehash everything because as we've been building uh, each week through this, we've actually been uh, developing this, this paragraph. And so I'd like to, to read that to, to bring us up to speed. God created a kingdom, and he is the king, but he made human beings to represent him in that kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected this call, which led to sin and death. But God promised to defeat the serpent through the seed of the woman, who is also the seed of Abraham. Through Abraham's family, and specifically Judah's royal seed, David, the covenant blessing would come to the world. 
because all people were guilty and deserved death, the sacrifices of the Mosaic law revealed more clearly their need for a substitute, the suffering servant. Through the servant and the work of the Spirit, God would establish a new covenant and give lasting life to his people in the new heavens and new earth. Jesus is the one through whom all these promises find fulfillment first in his sacrificial death for sin. So this is where we're at uh, uh, in the storyline. We are at the cross. And specifically, if, if we kind of zoom in on, on history, we're at Good Friday. We're at the culmination of what traditionally uh, we would call Holy Week. On Sunday, I'll go over here. Okay. On Sunday, we start with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, okay, fulfilling some big prophecies, might I add. Okay. Moving through the week, on Thursday, we have the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, he's betrayed by Judas. Uh, he's tried by Pontius Pilate. He's sentenced to death on a cross. And now our verse for today, he's up on that cross. He's been there for a few hours. These are his last words. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In this verse, more poignantly, what Jesus said, it is finished, is what we're going after today. I'd like to look at this verse, uh, chew on it, and to do so, I'd like to help us maybe more fully understand the absolute magnitude of what this verse is, is, is getting at. And to do so, uh, I want to actually go back and focus on something else that's referenced in the Bible that also happened within a week's time frame, the creation week. All the way back in Genesis 1 and 2, we, we hear and we learn about a God who creates he has nothing, and then there's something. And he starts with light. And so we have day and night and sun and moon and stars and land and sea. And this creation week moves forward to the point where we get to day six with the culmination of Adam and Eve, human beings being created on day six. What about day seven? What happens on day seven? He rests. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. So in the week of creation, we see that God is actually done with his work by day six. 
going back to Holy Week and Jesus dying on the cross, let's not miss this parallel of how big this moment is. Because in Holy Week, what day are we talking about when Jesus dies on the cross? Day six. Knowing that everything had now been finished, Jesus bows his head, says, it is finished. Day six. So when we are looking at this passage, we're going to allow scripture to interpret scripture. And I I want us to feel how big this moment is, that it's not just Jesus saying, you know, proclaiming, you know, okay, I'm done. And then he dies. What we're getting at is the same authority, the same proclamation, the same bigness and grandness that we think of in the creation week that out of nothing God creates and he creates something new. Here we get the completed work of God in the work of redemption and creation, or sorry, redemption and salvation. So I hope that kind of lands with you of how big these words are actually kind of pushing this narrative forward in in the work of redemption and salvation. Couple things to help us maybe see this this parallel. I, I already referenced it in day one of Holy Week, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and they're waving palm fronds. You guys remember this? Okay, that was actually indicative of a king entering into a city. You could say that Jesus is entering and ushering in a new kingdom on day one of Holy Week, just like God was doing on day one of creation. On day six is when Adam and Eve are created. And it said the breath of God was then breathed into Adam's nostrils, giving him life. And now we see on day six of Holy Week, that we have new life, rebirth, new spiritual life given to us by the very last breath of Jesus as God on the cross. And this one's really neat. <clears throat> on day seven of creation, week, God rested, right? And he called it Sabbath, Sabbath rest. We'll take a look. As we continue with that, Jesus bows his head and gave up the spirit That was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Of course it was a special Sabbath. Jesus just finished the work of redemption and salvation. Now, of course, they they thought it was the, the, the special Sabbath related to Passover. It was that, but we get to zoom out and see how this parallels with what other parts of Scripture are saying a special Sabbath. Why was it a special Sabbath? Because Jesus' work is done. It is finished. So with that, of course, the obvious next question is what work is done if, if, if we're kind of following this, this logically. So I thought it'd be helpful for us to frame this in actually looking back at Uh, this infographic that we've been using, this isn't just a singular line, but rather all of these things 
are actually crescendoing. They are moving us to the cross. So much to, to say that without the cross, these actually don't have their fullest expression or their fullest interpretations. All of these are bringing us like, okay, music geeks, like the sports sandos, like boom! We, we're there, okay? Dumb and dumber quote for you, okay? We're at the cross. And so all of these, I thought it'd be helpful. We can work through these and actually see how the cross reinterprets and we can see the good work that Jesus completed throughout all these. And so we start with creation. The cross reminds us, as we've talked about, of the good work that God completed in creation because now we have the good work of redemption and salvation by Jesus' death on a cross. Uh, Colossians 1 says it this way, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross." We see this redemption, we get this qualifier, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Okay, after creation, we talked about human beings. We talked about Adam and Eve being created in the image of God. Jesus being human is obviously that, but he's more than that. He is, we could say, the true image bearer of God. He is the Adam that Adam couldn't be. He lived the perfect life that Adam didn't. Romans 5 says it this way, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Which obviously then moves us into what, it, what happened with uh, Adam and Eve, that the disobedience, that the taking of the fruit, the work of Jesus is undoing those curses from Genesis chapter three. He lived the perfect sinless life, but then that righteousness, that rightness is then exchanged. Second Corinthians five, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's this exchange that happens. Jesus' work is, is undoing the curse, which obviously then we, we then 
talked about the redemption that's being promised. You know, on this plot line, we we talked about how there's this promise to Eve to the woman that this her seed at one point will crush the serpent. That there was even from that moment a plan for redemption. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or hung on a tree. We then looked at Abraham and the covenant promises that were promised to Abraham and his seed, his lineage, his family. And what's nice is we just add on verse 14 to this. He, Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We then move this plot line forward. Uh, After Abraham, we talked about Judah. Of all the sons of Israel that were available, the promise was going to go through Judah. Not the firstborn, not the secondborn, not the thirdborn, but Judah, which didn't really make sense to them, I'm sure, at the time. But this is God's promise coming through this royal line through Judah. And I got to admit, Matthew and Luke both have lineages that just like, son of, son of, son of, son of. Okay. If you're interested, Matthew's shorter. (laughs) Okay. But it it is interesting and noteworthy that two of the four Gospels wanted to make absolutely clear that Jesus, being the son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, got back to Judah. Not the other sons, but to Judah. And so, put these up there for reference. Moving ahead, we talked about the Passover lamb, uh, the story of the Israelites being in slavery in, in Egypt. And, and way back when, when they first got these instructions, the Passover lamb was supposed to be spotless. It was supposed to be pure. You know, the sacrificial lamb is, is not to be bruised or broken because we, we give the very best as a sacrifice. And Jesus was that. He not only lived perfect, right, holy life. Uh, But I also find it interesting, scripture actually even references that as Jesus is uh, being tried uh, and being put up on a cross, he never even broke a bone. So we get this pure spotless lamb. And yet just like the Passover lamb, Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to atone for the sin committed, but unlike the Passover lamb and the goats and bulls that needed to happen on a constant cycle to make atonement, Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. Uh, Hebrews 10 says it this way, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? 
For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then jumping now to verse 10. And by that will, by God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb. He is the truly acceptable Passover lamb and sacrifice. Which moved us to talking about the law, which we've referred to a lot. Jesus fulfills and completes the requirements of the law to redeem those that are under law so that we no longer live under law, but under grace. We see that a lot in Romans. And so I picked this one. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. We move forward to King David. Not only is Jesus in the line of Abraham and Judah, but then there was this promise given to David that the scepter would never depart from his house. Jesus is this king, is this promised king. And I had fun with, with this one. We get a Christmas passage this morning, okay? Mary's being visited by the angels. She's kind of freaking out, okay? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. After King David, we talked about the suffering servant. And for our purposes today, the cross really highlights just the suffering that Jesus went through to fulfill the work that was required from the Isaiah 53 passage that we spent a lot of time uh, that week on talking about for redemption to take place, the suffering servant would have to suffer. And let us not forget that Christianity's most sacred symbol is a Roman torture device. Let that land with you. The cross is a torture device. And what's more is one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, saw this, experienced this, and he had to have thought, this, this is the suffering servant on our behalf. And so what does he do when he writes one of his epistles, 1 Peter 2? He just says it. He himself bore our sins 
in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray. These are direct quotes from Isaiah 53. And Peter does us a solid by just saying, this is accomplished by Jesus on the cross. After the suffering servant, we talked about the resurrection that was promised. We were in the Ezekiel passage talking about the dry bones and the dry bones uh, having flesh and them, them being raised to life. And Jesus then is that promise. So we look in Romans 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then finally, last week, Aaron talked, to, talked about this idea of, about fulfillment, how there's this longing, there's waiting is hard. Waiting is, is really, really, really hard. And yet Jesus, starting the work on the cross, is now fulfilling all of these components that we were waiting for. The passage uh, that I have for, for us in this one actually comes uh, from Luke 24 after Jesus has actually raised from the dead. And what's funny about this is he's, he's met some followers of his who are distraught, uh, uh, traveling on a road and uh, he helps them open their mind to all the scriptures that had to point to him. And after that, Jesus then walks in on his disciples and he says this, while they, the disciples, are still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. I love that scripture just puts that in there for us. He said, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat, here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. You were there. 
And I love how he opened up their minds to basically see the totality of the Old Testament pointing and crescendoing to Jesus. All of Scripture is about Jesus. And so when we ask, what is the Bible all about? The cross is the hinge point of this story. It's, it's not just another stepping stone as we work through these uh, 16 verses. It is the peak. It is the penultimate. What is, what is the story of the Bible all about? It is about God redeeming his people through Jesus. So, what now? I think a very logical question would then be, it's like, okay, knowledge is one thing, wisdom is another. How do we, how do we apply this? Um, uh, I, was, I forget who I was talking to the other week. Um, knowledge is like, knowledge is knowing that zucchini is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that zucchini does not belong in a fruit smoothie. Okay? Are you there? Are you there? If you put zucchini in a fruit smoothie, they're, you're dark. Okay? <laughs> okay? But, so, for application, what do, what do we do with this? Well, I'd like to, to go back to actually my story about LASIK. Uh, was it a procedure that... I'm glad I did and that I chose. Absolutely. Uh, but it was also a procedure that was done to me. It is, it is certainly not anything that I would ever be able to do myself. I cannot perform eye surgery on myself, especially when that eye surgery, okay, spoiler alert, like you actually go blind for a few seconds, like in LASIK surgery, okay? There's no way that I could do that surgery myself. In the same way, we can't create our own redemption and salvation plan by ourselves. This is something that God has to do to us and for us. Um, now, to, to push the LASIK analogy even further, hopefully without getting to heresy, okay, I now live in a new reality that I don't need glasses to see. I once needed glasses, okay? Now I don't. How foolish of me would it be then to try to go put my glasses back on? Trying to use something that is now functionally and in reality obsolete. And yet, how many times do we do that as believers to say, yeah, G Jesus died on the cross. I'm going this way. I'm going to try to make my own path of redemption and salvation. Friends, if, if you said yes to Jesus, stop trying to put the glasses back on. Okay? Additionally, uh. I'd like to invite uh, Natty Severson up, but she's not here, <laughs> okay? So she actually uh, 
recorded a video for us. Uh, it is finished. The verse, it is finished, has a special meaning for her. And so uh, we're going to have her share uh, what it means to her as well. Oh, did I not? We're there. We're there. Wrong button. See, I'm human. There we go. Good morning, everybody. My name is Natty Severson, and I was asked to share a little bit with you about a particular tattoo I got. Um, I have several tattoos, and they all have significant meaning to me. Um, for example, I have my kids' names. Uh, here you go. It's hard to see. There it is. My kids' names. Um, I have the geographical coordinates to our house written on my foot. Uh, it's been a big part of our just family life being here in Columbia Heights. I love this home. I love this place where we've raised our kids together. Um, and I have just this various other things. But the one I was asked to share about today is this one. In case you can't read it, it says, it is finished. Um, and that, of course, is going to be the passage we're talking about today. Um, these were the last words recorded in John that Jesus spoke on the cross. And I got them put on my arm because it's just an important reminder to me. It's actually a, something I can physically touch um, when I need to remember this. When um, things are going sideways or I feel stressed or even I just need a reminder that Jesus is good and he has labeled me as good. Um, I can physically touch it and remind myself that Jesus said the work there is finished on the cross. His death was all that, that was needed. Uh, nothing more. Uh, I don't need to earn my salvation. I don't need to work for it. I don't need to be perfect. I don't need to put all the pressures on myself that I typically put on myself because Jesus did it for me on the cross. And it's just this awesome, tangible reminder of what he has done for me. Thanks, Natty. Uh, I, I love that. I, I especially love just the idea is like she actually just touches it as a way to, to remind her the work has already been completed. The work is done. But also the, the, the force and the power and the magnitude and the grandness of that work can be an encouragement to us. So I actually want to return to day five of the Holy Week. Uh, this is a, a painting, a rendition of the Last Supper, where uh, Jesus is sitting down with his disciples. Uh, he's having a meal together, and he institutes what we now call communion. Uh, but I thought it'd be important for us to uh, see where, uh, where this comes from. And so in Luke 22, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
which is poured out for you. Our weekly service, as we gather on Sundays, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, oftentimes looks really similar from one week to another. And there's, there is a lot of intentionality. Uh, we sing, we, we greet each other, we hear the gospel, and then we take communion. Maybe another way to say it is, we sing, we greet each other, we hear the gospel, and then we take communion. We are crescendoing to communion. Why? Because it helps us remember the cross. Communion is where we get to worship and say, do this in remembrance of Jesus. We remember the sacrifice of the greater Passover lamb. We remember the blood that was shed for our sins. We remember the body broken as the suffering servant. But we also remember that this was the culmination of God's kingdom being ushered in, that the kingdom is coming, that he has fulfilled all that was needed to bring God's people back to himself. This is communion. This is one way that we get to to together worship Jesus and remember the cross. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. And for the next few songs, this is what we're going to do. We're going to remember the cross. We're going to worship together in singing. Uh, There'll be people in the back that if you would like prayer for anything, um, they're there. We have communion back in the lobby. Again, to remember the good work of redemption and salvation from the cross. And while we do that, a couple application questions. Do you know someone, and maybe it's you, that needs to hear that the good work of redemption and salvation has been finished? It's done. It's complete. But then secondly, are you trying to put the glasses back on? I'm going to pray, and then we can move to... uh, Continuing to worship through song, remembering, remembering the cross. Jesus, we are grateful that we don't have to do the work, that you did it and you proclaimed it is finished, that you did not bow your head in defeat, but in victory over sin and death, your last breath has been, has given us life, an abundant life. So much so that the realities of the cross now shine a light forward, that we get to live in new realities. We don't have to live in darkness, but in light.
We are grateful. We are thankful for that. Pray that uh, we would be encouraged and challenged to no longer try to put the glasses of our own white knuckle work back on. That we would live in the good news and the good work that you've already completed on the cross. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.